There has been a lot of commentary in the days since the Christchurch massacre, squarely laying the blame at the feet of politicians like Peter Dutton and the current Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, as well as media commentators like Andrew Bolt and Alan Jones and a whole host of others, if not directly for the atrocity, then certainly for the toxic culture of Islamophobia they've helped cultivate. Where do you see responsibility ultimately lying, Dr Morsi, for this horrific act of mass murder? Or to phrase the question a different way, what is it that led us in the post-September 11th climate of fear and hate to Christchurch? Thank you, Alex. Um, So first and foremost, um, the responsibility for this horrific act of mass murder is with the terrorists who did the killings, first and foremost. But yes, absolutely, we as a society, each and every one of us has a role to play to talk about the cultural, social, political environment we create where he feels entitled enough to drive his car full of weaponry, to park on a side street and walk into a mosque and start shooting worshippers in the back and killing children and others um, who are, of course, undeserving, of course, not anywhere near part of this twisted fantasy he has of uh, a takeover and a destruction of Western civilization. And that latter part brings us to the questions about environment um, and yeah, look, I recognize and I understand the likes of Duttons and the Morrisons and the Bolts and the Jones and what role they played in hyping up the immigration slash Muslim threat of uh, using the war on terror in some cases to make careers and get votes. Absolutely. But I also think all along we've been saying that too. We have recognized that a politician gains traction when they are anti-Muslim. And as a society, I think we all have an obligation or responsibility to um hold these figures accountable, but also to recognize that if he's doing it for votes and people are voting because they want to hear racism, and if people are reading Andrew Bolt and and Alan Jones, they want to read racism. And so it's a broader issue, and I think I'm unearthing why it is so successful to beat up on immigrants and migrants and Muslims is a broader and bigger question. And the latter part of your question about post-September 11 climate of fear and hate Yes, but I think it precedes that, you know. Um, I think we have seen uh, Australia from its own historical origins, locality of where it is in Asia-Pacific, and despite being of British origins and talking about the colonial Australia, then um, there's always been a fear of the other present. There's always been an attempt to socially engineer the nation to feel, look, and be white. And uh, as it tries to outgrow that, there's always going to be a retaliation by by those who believe Australia should remain white. There's been a quick rush to memorialise the victims of this terrorist atrocity on social media. Within a matter of days, if not hours, this is not us, we're all Muslims, and so on, became viral slogans. Leaving aside the grotesque hypocrisy of racist, Islamophobic politicians and journalists spouting these slogans, which we've just discussed, there's no doubt that when expressed by ordinary people, these sentiments are sincere and heartfelt. However, there's something vaguely troubling about them as well. As lawyer and Muslim community advocate Lydia Shelley has pointed out, one has to ask a series of confronting but necessary questions. Where were these people when the Australian Federal Police, for instance, was raiding innocent Muslim families' homes and pointing machine guns at children's heads? Where were they during the near pogrom that was the Cronulla riot of 2005? Where were they when Australian SAS soldiers were murdering Muslim children in Afghanistan? Where were they very recently when Muslim children locked up on Nauru were harming themselves and 
in some cases attempting suicide. Your comments, Dr Morsi? Yes, again, it kind of leads back to something I was saying earlier. Uh, so the first part of your question, that this is not us, we are all Muslims, and even the celebration of Egg Boy and so forth. I think uh, we all as human beings want to salvage and rescue images of ourselves. And, um, you know, the Muslim community is, uh, is, is an example of always trying to project and promote a positive image of Islam in the face of uh, terrorism and what you find here is honestly a little bit of a, it's always been there, don't get me wrong, like a defensiveness from white Australia, to use a lack of a better term, um, about the problem and uh, throwing out these slogans um, makes it easier. Celebrating egg boys makes it easier because we have a positive image of who we are. Um, the intentions of coming close to one another and saying we're all Muslims, um, uh, yeah, uh, that one's a little harder to accept because... Um, as mentioned in your question there, um, it seems it's okay to be Muslims when we're victims but, um, of uh, one particular type of violence, but not another type of violence. Um, that said, uh, I find it almost unnecessary um, to continually harp on uh, about the contradictions and the hypocrisies of the state I, my type of anti-racism is um, about investing in the communities that are most harmed by racism and building resilience um, through them. I think as long as politics is around, as long as the state is around, they, they, there will be violence. And it's up to us as a population and a people to be able to listen to those who are most vulnerable, to see their interpretation and understanding of how violence works open up spaces and panels and uh, discussions uh, um, both in media and the public and private sphere for uh, recognizing experiences of how racism harms and uh, to speak to the you know um, survivors of this uh, as a way for us to increase our political and race literacy so uh, yes the state has been centered um, AFP uh, the peoples who uh, responsible for Cronulla and so forth, but also I think um, uh, there are a lot of heroes, a lot of resilient people and activists in communities of colour that are doing great work, and uh, I would love for us to centre their uh, work and their interpretations of things so that we as a society can learn, rather than, um, not saying it's not necessary, but rather than continue to highlight the importance, the important job of highlighting what you call the grotesque hypocrisy of certain politicians. One of your main areas of academic research involves studying trends in contemporary forms of racism with a particular focus on Islamophobia. What does the research tell us about the prevalence and virulence of anti-Muslim hatred? Is this a problem confined to the margins of society, to people like the Christchurch terrorist and neo-Nazis like Blair Cottrell and Neil Erickson, or is it indeed a much wider phenomenon? It is a wider phenomenon, yes, but it's... uh it's a scale. So uh, one way of defining Islamophobia is to see it as the elimination of Muslims and Islam from any meaningful space in the world. Uh, maybe it can be relegated to over there somewhere in the brown land and so forth. At the extreme end of that elimination is killing, um, genocide. Uh, the less extreme end is 
you can be quiet and silent and out of a public space, go private, uh, go worship in private, and we don't really want to see you, don't overtake our suburbs, and so forth. And somewhere in between is a controlling of immigration. So it's a scale, um, but in, at all at all levels of that scale, it's an attempt to relegate Islam and Muslims uh, to a space of uh, non-existence or meaninglessness. Uh, it's okay for you to be who you are, but uh, do not try to um, enter the public sphere. Like, you know, uh, do not try to influence society. And almost all of us want our values and ideas and our truths to participate in the public game of influence in society. So Islamophobia is in all ways it's a much wider phenomenon in that sense. But yeah, I, I do think at the very least, you know, to, to fight the whole thing is a long-term project. But in the short term, at the very least, our eyes should be on these neo-Nazis, those who will take guns, those who will make bombs, those who will drive cars into people. And uh, that, at the very least, we have to be vigilant on. That seems to me, you know, I've got to be honest, I mean, the idea... I still can't kind get of my head around it that he could put images of his weapons on Twitter and declare his intention online, live stream on Facebook, be watched by just under 200 people and still get away with it and not have the state have its eye on it. I mean, I cannot think of uh, a Muslim who has similar radical ideas be having that kind of space and privilege and luxury to declare his, his or her violence and to post it over a line and then carry out live streaming, there would be an absolute outcry and there would be resignations. There would be calling for a new prime minister in both countries if our security services allowed a Muslim to do what this terrorist did. Finally, Dr Morsi, what changes do you foresee, if any, to the nature of public discussion around questions of race, religion and culture in the wake of the Christchurch attack? There is a renewed debate underway, for instance, as to whether or not state censorship and the banning of accounts by social media companies might play a useful role in defeating the forces of racism. I do see changes. I do think it will be easier for people like me who have been fighting racism and white supremacy for a long time to be heard a little bit more. Um, whether that translates to meaningful change, and uh, it, it, we will see because... Um, it's a long-term project, and uh, when the grief and the sorrow and the memories fade, um, I hope there will still be a, um, a commitment by all to um, to continue the debate and uh, to do what's necessary, be it censorship or on social media or elsewhere, or holding certain politicians accountable, or as I said earlier in my response, hearing to the voices that have done most work on the ground, um, turning them into our heroes. You know, um, not in our heads in acknowledgement for those who have sacrificed to this fight um, well before um, these acts of violence were known to us. So I, I think in this current moment, you have to be hopeful, as perverse and heartbreaking as it is, to say that maybe this will lead to something positive. Um, you'd hope so. And uh, I do think in this current moment, and early is a bit early that people are seemingly more willing to listen to the threat that, that no one side oh, um, can be excluded from this conversation um, and violence of this type is, uh, is needed to be both addressed and understood.